Well, Hope Church, good morning to all of you, and it is so good to be here with you this morning. May, grace, may God's grace and peace be with you as we look at God's Word together. The title of the sermon is The Purity of Unity. The Purity of Unity. The goal of this sermon is to show you how the book of Ephesians is a picture of God's glorious purpose and plan for the church. You see, the previous letters that Paul wrote in 1 and 2 Corinthians, we see a lot of different issues that Paul had brought to the surface. However, in the book of Ephesians, he steps aside from the challenges of his day and he reveals a magnificent vision of Christ and his grand design for the church. This book is filled with examples of the goal of God's glory in the gospel for the church. Just a little bit of a a background or structural comparison here. Chapter 1 to 3 in in Ephesians is a theological uh, treatise. It speaks of the grand purpose of God's salvation and the work of the gospel in the life of a believer. It focuses on what God has done for us, what Christ has accomplished on the cross through grace, and what Christ has done between us in terms of reconciliation. Chapter 4 to 6 focuses on the horizontal relationship with other people. It develops the theme of unity among believers how we should walk and live in this dark and spiritually desolate world. A commentator, Walter Liefeld, says it this way, says Paul's purpose in this way. Paul wrote to expand the horizons of his readers so that they might understand better the dimensions of God's eternal purpose and grace and to come to appreciate the high goals God has for the church. Church, we are not filled with, with the world. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. We are, we are, the Holy Spirit dwells within us. And so God has a high goal for us to live that out, to live out the power of his Spirit in us. This letter gives us a view of what Christ has done for us and why. He gives us a vision of this higher calling and a new vision of our purpose in Christ and how we are to live our lives. So the big idea for this sermon is very simple. And if if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Our goal in Christ is to pursue and maintain unity for the glory of Christ and the growth of the church. Our goal in Christ, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, is to pursue and maintain unity for God's glory and for the growth of the church. And we think about growth, it's not numeric growth primarily. It is gospel growth. The growth of the gospel, what happens when someone comes to know Christ, comes into our building, goes into small group, and understands the true gospel and begins to grow. That gospel begins to grow in their life so that it's, their lives are transformed. It is for God's glory 
the glory of Christ and for the growth of the church. That is why we need to pursue and maintain unity. What does unity look like? What does unity look like? Well, first and foremost, uh, the, the first thing we have to discuss is the unity of the Spirit. So we are called to unity of the Spirit. We are called to unity in the Spirit. That's the first point. There's three areas of unity that we're going to discuss. Unity in the Spirit, unity of faith, and, and the practice of truth. The unity that we have in the practice of truth. I'm going to read verse 1 to verse 6 to you. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. What a declaration. Paul here expresses after chapter 1 to 3 explaining the beauties of salvation in the individual believer. Then he says, therefore, therefore, now here's the next step. I, a prisoner of the Lord. He doesn't say, I, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, a prisoner. He's on house arrest in Rome. He spent a year and a half there and he's been writing letters and he, his identity is a prisoner of the Lord. And John Piper once said that his identity was so much as, as a prisoner of Jesus Christ that he was so glad to tell other people. It's worth it. It's worth it to be in prison for the gospel. And that's what Paul says. That's, what, that's why Paul says in this very next treatise from verse chapter 4 to chapter 6, I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord. And then he goes on to say, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. The calling is, is in Christ Jesus. Our calling is in Christ. Our calling is the greatest calling this world has ever known and to which we call other people to repentance to Christ. This calling is a relationship with Christ. This calling is that great reconciliation that God has with man through Jesus Christ, by his grace, through faith. That's our calling. Notice what it says, walk. The way you walk, meaning the way you live your life, is important to God. He wants you to live in a manner that is consistent with the calling that you which you have been called. The calling that you've received from Christ, which is filled with hope, with love, with faithfulness, and joy. Church, have we forgotten that this calling is the greatest calling we could ever have in our life? You know, calling to be a husband, a, a wife, a father, a mother, 
uh, calling to, to, to a certain type of job. Those are, uh, you know, callings that we have in this world. But the greatest calling that we have as believers is our calling in Christ Jesus. So what is God calling us to? In this passage, Paul urges the believers to be eager, to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Your eagerness should, should show every Sunday and, and, and every Wednesday and every Friday when you gather together. It's eager, you're eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Now, what does this mean? Maintain the unity of the Spirit. Well, as we can see from chapter 1 all the way to chapter 3, God chose us beyond before the beginning of, the wor- uh, beginning of time. In him, chapter 1, verse 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. Verse 5, God predestined us as adoption, as sons through Christ Jesus, according to the purpose of his will. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. God atoned for us. God sealed us through the power of his Holy Spirit. Chapter 2, verse 7, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Jesus. In verse 13, but now in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Chapter 1, verse 13, in him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. God is also rich towards us. God has given us his mission and his power. Chapter 3, verse 17, I love what it says here. So that in that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. God provided us the truth of his salvation. So by the Spirit, we live in that. That's what the unity, that the Holy Spirit will never tell you something opposite from the Scriptures. So chapter 1 to chapter 3 explains the dynamic that a believer should have with God. That relationship that he has with God. He or she has with God. That's why we can have this unity of the Spirit. Why do you think it's so important for us to gather together physically? It's because when we sing songs, when we listen to God's word together, we agree and our faith grows The Holy Spirit dwells within each and every one of you who believe and trust in him. And that same Holy Spirit dwells in me. And the affections that we have for God and for one another grows. That's the unity that we have in the Spirit. The unity of the Holy Spirit. Notice what it says. It it, it says maintain the unity of the Spirit. It doesn't say obtain. Obtain. It says maintain, because there's nothing to obtain. 
You already have the Holy Spirit. Every one of you who sits here, who, who has a relationship with Christ and has put their faith in Christ, you already have the Holy Spirit in you. So there's nothing to obtain. There's nothing to obtain. You and I need to maintain the unity of the Spirit. And brothers and sisters, during this whole COVID season and during this time where the world has never, you know, gone through something this, this large in scale in, in many, many years, it's important for us to understand that the unity of the church, the unity of the body of Christ is, is, is of utmost importance. And how do we do that? Is to maintain the unity of the Spirit. So are we reminding one another who we are in Christ? Are we praying for one another about things that matter? And don't get me wrong, I know a lot of things right now are in discussion and a lot of different challenges, especially with this new with the election coming up very soon. But let, let's get excited about the things that unite us. Let's get excited about the gospel again. Let's get excited about reconciliation between family and family members that happened throughout COVID. Let's get excited about praying for Compassion Canada and other compassion ministries. Let's get excited about the gospel because the Spirit of God dwells in you and in me. That's why Paul says let's maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. In the bond of peace the word here, bond, is, is the Greek word that, that um, is, is a measure of, of, of muscle fibers bonding together with strength. It's not like a loose kind of like glue. It's not like some sort of like sticky note. No, this bond is like the muscle fibers in your body. That's how we should treat the church. This is how we should be together. And notice what it says, the bond of peace. Praise God that he says the word peace because God is the one who provided us peace. He is the one who provided us peace. Ken Sandy says this, three dimensions to, God, to God's peace. Excuse me. God's peace is first and foremost between him and us, him and you. It is brought to us through the finished work of the cross. Through Christ, we can have peace with God. Amen. And then there's peace with one another. The Greek word here, arene, which actually means an, enti an entire purpose of peace, but specifically peace with one another. Peace with those who disagree with you. Peace with your friends and family members. Pre peace with your brothers and sisters. And then finally, peace within ourselves. How do we have inner peace? You know, Christ before he rose from the dead, or before he rose, uh, before he died and rose again, he, he said, peace I leave you, peace I give you, I do not give like the world gives, right? It's the, it's the real, true, inner peace of God. So thanks be to God that he provides these three areas of peace, but in this text, it is specifically talking about peace with other people. Peace with other people. That's why it says, with all humility and gentleness, look back with me in verse two, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. 
I don't know about you, but when, when you are in an argument or you disagree with somebody or someone's view is just totally absurd, you think is totally absurd, and, and, and you just think like, wow, they're just getting in my way. Are you humble? You see, you see in verse two, it says, with all humility. The expectation that if you are called by Jesus Christ, you are clothed with humility. You are clothed with gentleness. And you are clothed with patience. And by the way, if you don't have it, that's okay. I don't either. You just say, Lord Jesus, this is who you are. Help me to have humility. The humility that you have, that you would come down to this earth to die on the cross for my sin. Help me to have your patience. The patience you had with the thousands of people coming to you and demanding of your time, help me to have gentleness to speak in a room full of people the truth and love. Help me to have gentleness. And then finally, bearing with one another in love. The word in love here is mentioned a few times in this passage, and I'd like to kind of uh, draw that out. In the Greek, the bearing with one another is a, a participial phrase, which means it's a continual thing. You don't just do it once. You just continue to do it, right? What does it mean to bear with one another? Does it mean you're like, oh, I have to bear with this person because they're expecting me to show kindness, so I think I should because I'm a believer and I need to, so I'm going to bear with them, and I'm just like, I have to bear with this person. The, the, the original intention of this phrase has everything to do with love. You cannot bear with somebody out of obligation and out of like, you know, like I have to do this. You can't do that if you have love. If you have love, you are going to bear with that person out of what? Not obligation, out of privilege. You get to bear with them. You get to bear with them because the love that comes from you is from above. And the love that you have for others is the love that you've received from Christ. So you get to show it. You get to show Christ's love. You get to bear with those around you. As Christ bared with you on that cross. As he bore your sin on the cross. That's the love that we have. It's not a sprinkle of love. It's not a side dish of love. Look at what it says. In love. The very essence of you bearing with another, another person is because it is in love. It is the in agape, the in, in the unconditional love of Christ. That's how we can have this bond of peace. This bond of peace. Brothers and sisters, it says, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called sons of God. The reason why they're called sons of God is because the Son of God, Jesus Christ, was the greatest peacemaker. So if you are a peacemaker in your family, in your workplace, in the church, you are called sons of God. And it also says in Romans 12, verse 18, be at peace with all people as far as it depends on you. Therefore, don't force the situation. We, we all know we have limits, right? But the, but the scriptures tell us, do the best that you can to live at peace with all those around you. And that's how the bond 
that it's, that's how that bond of peace is going to function in the church. You see, we're called to maintain the unity of the Spirit in this bond of peace that is founded on humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing with one another. It, 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 I don't have time to go into this, but this is, this is so important for the church. Especially as we go through maybe another few, I don't know how many cycles we'll go through with COVID. Who knows? But we must pursue, sorry, we must maintain the unity of the Spirit. That Holy Spirit that dwells in you and dwells in me, we must maintain that unity in the bond of peace. You see, revival happens when we have a high view of God and the unity of the church. A high view of God's sovereignty and the unity that the church desires. Unity doesn't come through developing programs or potlucks or meetings or even, even, even many prayer meetings. Unity comes from a high view of God and a high view of the unity of the church. May God give us strength in this revival. Then in verse 4 it says, There is one body, the church, and one spirit, the Holy Spirit given to us, just as you were called to one hope, the hope of eternal life, that belongs to your call. One Lord, Yahweh, covenant-keeping God. One faith, a faith that is given to us as a gift. One baptism, a spiritual baptism that is provided by Christ Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, expressed physically in the waters of baptism. One God and Father who is sovereign over all, who is over all and through all and in all. As Romans 11 verse 36 says, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. So Paul here is saying, let's not forget what we believe. Let's not forget and let's get excited about this. We believe in one God, one baptism, one faith. Let that be our banner, church. Let's continue to praise and worship and adore and to let the world know that Jesus Christ reigns and he reigns forevermore. Not only are we called to the unity in the spirit, but we're also called to pursue unity of the faith. That's the second point. Unity of the faith. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who ascended is the one who also, he who has descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles and prophets and evangelists, the, the, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be tossed, no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried by every wind of doctrine by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful, deceitful schemes. 
This portion of scripture speaks about the grace gift that was given to us at conversion, but is specifically given as, a, as spiritual gifts given by the Lord. Paul also expressed that the gift uh, that, that Paul had uh, was given by the apostle, uh, was given by Jesus Christ. Christ gives us the gift of grace, and to each he has proportioned it. That is why the quotation from Psalm 68, verse 18, occurs in verse 7, to express the beauty of what God has done for us through Christ. He explains this in verse 9 and 10, where Christ descended into the lower regions of the earth, analogous to the fact that he died and was buried. But when he ascended above, he above the heavens into heaven because of his resurrection. Verse 11 lists out a group of gifts that include five of the most foundational elements of moving the church forward to gospel growth. Teachers teach God's word. Prophets not foretell but foretell with great conviction and discernment. Shepherds are overseers who care and nurture after the flock. Evangelists are those like Timothy and Philip sharing the good news of bol with boldness. And then we have apostles, those who were the trailblazers of the day, who performed miracles and signs and proclaimed the truth of Christ to a large number of people. These are the guardians of the gospel protecting the church from heresy and false teaching. All of these gifts, all of these gifts as described here is for the building up of the body of Christ. So church, let's get ready. Let's get ready. Let's continue to be ready to serve. The word here, minister, here is, it says here, the work of the ministry. The work of the ministry. The word ministry is dekonos, which is actually word for servant, so that we can serve one another. Practical ministry, help. And that's why we have pastors and teachers and, and prophets and, 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 and evangelists. We have all that because God has called the church together to be participating in his work. The work of the ministry. This leads us directly to verse 13. So what does verse 13 say? Until we all attain. Paul is here just concluding with this, until, until we do all of this to build up the church, we build the church together, we serve one another, we do the work of the ministry until we attain to the unity of the faith. I love what that says. We're not there yet. We're not there yet. And that's what makes our church and many other churches around the globe so exciting because we're not there yet until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The goal, the goal of this of, of this attaining is, is, is a complete faith. We all want to attain the unity which is our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. See, our confidence is not in the flesh and the worldly ways. Our confidence is in Christ Jesus. And that's why I would, I would substitute, or maybe not substitute, but add to the word faith with a word confidence. How, can, how is your confidence in Christ how's my confidence in Christ? Can you 
Turn to the person to your left and to the right and behind you and in front of you and talk about your confidence in Jesus Christ no matter what the circumstance you're going through. That's how the unity of the, that's how the church can build itself in unity of the faith is by being able to testify, to testify of God's work in your life as you trust and have confidence in him. We live in a world right now that has confidence in the wrong things. We have confidence in things that come and that are shallow and come and go. They are temporary. And it seemingly draws us in. But brothers and sisters, we must have confidence. And this confidence must grow. That's why it says, until we attain to that unity of the confidence, of that faith that we have in Jesus Christ. I'm not there yet. I, I know we're not there yet. And that's okay. Because God calls us to attain to that. Isn't that a beautiful goal, church? That we would attain to that unity of the faith, that we would know our brothers and sisters so well in such a way through accountability, through Bible study, through our times of prayer, through the support that we have towards one another, and to know that this faith is so real and so good. Our faith is our relationship with Christ and our resolve to trust and obey him. We all want to attain to the unity of the faith, which means all of us are in close relationship with Christ. We are walking with Christ. That's why we have small groups. That's why we have you know, groups that, are, that, that pray together. That's why we have young adults. That's why we have youth, is so that we can be stronger disciples of Jesus Christ, that our relationship with God is growing. But not only do we need that faith, notice what it says. It says the knowledge of the Son of God, which means that we have to grow in our knowledge of the gospel. We have to grow in the, in the understanding the content of the word of God. The knowledge of God being revealed through his word. How passionate are we to not only you, you, um, make, pursue and obtain the unity of the faith, but pursue and obtain more knowledge about God through his word. Our church... We need followers of Christ who are willing to have full confidence and faith and trust in Christ. And our church also, we need to not only have that unity of the faith, but unity in pursuing the knowledge of God. Confidence and conviction. You can't have one without the other. We need both. And that's what Paul is saying here. We need to become mature, mature in our faith, mature in our knowledge of the Son of God. And that's why it says at the, at the end there, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Do you believe that, church, that as we obtain this goal together, the goal of the unity of our faith and unity in the knowledge of the Son of God, that we will grow up together in Christ, that we will be, become more like him. Oh, that we would become more like him. Praise God. 
Finally, we are to practice unity of the truth. Unity of the truth. And the passage here says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in him in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself in love. Speaking the truth in love. So instead of being tossed to and fro by the waves of doctrine and uh, the wind of doctrine, the human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes, now notice what this says, deceitful schemes implies liars, people who don't tell the truth. But rather, speaking the truth. It, it, it's, a, it's a double interpretation here. Right? According to the text, what, we're talking, what Paul is talking about is the truth of the measure of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's speaking of that because from chapter 1 all the way to chapter 4 at this point, it is speaking mostly about doctrine, about the truth of the gospel. But because we know that there's deceitful scheming and cunning people, we also know that speaking the truth, honest truth, was a problem. That's why he said, rather, speaking the truth in love, there's a two, two, two sides of the coin here. Speaking God's truth through his word, but also speaking the honest truth. And you have to do it in love. You, you, can't, you, can't, you can't speak the truth in a way that God wants you to speak the truth without love. It's like, it's like having, um, give an illustration, it's like having a pastrami sandwich without mustard and sauerkraut. Some of you may think, oh, well, you know, you don't put mustard and sauerkraut. Well, I'm sorry, I think you're wrong. You need to have them together, right? right? Or it's like having, you know, like uh, goat curry without rice or naan. Like, you, you just can't. You have to have it together, you need to make this sandwich. You need to make this meal. Listen, brothers and sisters, speaking the truth in love, it's not, a, it's not a one or the other. It's both together. I was speaking to a brother on Friday night um, about, about accountability. And, and it's so interesting in this passage, it, it doesn't talk about necessary accountability uh, in, in its full measure, but I, I was thinking in my mind, like how can you speak the truth of God's word to another person if that person is not speaking the truth about themselves to you? This is really, this is getting down to the nitty gritty of what accountability is. And some of you might be wondering what accountability is. In our small groups, we have uh, accountability times, which is uh, times when men uh, go with men, women go with women, and they spend time to really seek out, uh, you know, each other's thoughts and opinions and, and struggles and to be able to be transparent and open. But I've always found that there are times when accountability has just been, you know, it's a certain amount of time and we're going so fast and in my mind I want to share something on my heart but there just isn't enough time so I just kind of gloss over and say, yeah, I'm doing okay. Yeah, I'm, I've read this chapter. Mm-hmm, yeah. And I'm leading it. 
Brothers and sisters, I am so convicted about this, is that we need to speak the truth to one another, the honest truth. We need to be honest, we need to be filled with integrity, and we need to have transparency in our church. And it's okay, you don't have to speak the right words. You just need to speak the honest truth about where you're at. But we're also called to speak God's truth directly and in love. Notice it says in love here. I'm going to do this again. It's not a sprinkle of love. It's not a side dish of love. the, The entire thing is done in love. When you speak the truth, you speak because you love them. Not because you want to be loved by them. Because you love them. How does that look like? What words are you going to use? When are you going to call them? Is it going to be at a time when it's only to your convenience? Or are you actually going to take the time to think about, hey, maybe this brother or sister needs, you know, an afternoon. And I'm just going to spend time with them. Everything is done in love. In love. Love is what builds the church. The body of Christ is built up when brothers and sisters love one another and show their spiritual gifts in tangible ways so as to build one another up. The context here is is this unconditional love of Christ. The unconditional love that God gave us. And that's why in this final verse here, uh, put on then as chosen, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so that you must, you must, you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Do you see the the connection between in love and the bond of peace, brothers and sisters? In love and the bond of peace, bearing with one another in love, and then pursuing the, maintaining the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Speaking the truth in love. Don't let the, the devil grab a hold of you. For you to say, now is my time. My time for pride. My time for selfishness. Oh, if only people knew how much effort I put into this relationship. I feel entitled and hurt. I feel uh, self-pity for the things that others have done to me. Or the things that others didn't do because of one reason or another. Now is my time to express anger and frustration. Now is my time. That is the devil saying to you, yeah, it's your time, man. Go do it. Go let out your anger. Let out your frustrations. You know who we should go to when we have frustrations? You know who we should go to when we uh, cannot handle the inner turmoil in our own souls? Psalm 139. Lord, you have searched me and known me. 
And then he says at the very end, Lord, search me and know me and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the path everlasting. God is able to bear all the burdens that you have. And so, brothers and sisters, when we think about what it means to speak the truth in love, to speak truth, to practice that in our small groups, in our communication with one another, you should ask the question, am I doing this for their benefit and because I love them? Or is this all about me? And if it's all about you or if it's all about me, then we need to repent. And we need to come back to God's word and be faithful and true to it. So our goal in Christ is to pursue and maintain unity for the glory of Christ and for the growth of the church. We are called to unity in the spirit. We are to pursue unity of the faith and we are to practice unity of truth in love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we, we just fall at your feet because we know this passage is just so true, so real. We know, O oh God, that your purposes will prevail. That the unity of the church, as it says, as, as Jesus prayed for the unity among his disciples and then the church at large in John 17 will come to fruition. That he who began a good work in us will, will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. will make it complete. And so, Lord, we just pray, O oh God, make it complete. Continue to mature us as Hope Mississauga. Continue to help us to pursue the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Help us to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And help us to speak the truth in love. So that we may grow up into Christ. Into our head. that we would glorify your name and that you would show us the beauty of the growth of the gospel here in our community and around the world. We pray these things in Jesus' name.